It's the new year and it might be time to refresh your home. It's the perfect activity for a harsh cold winter. Brooklinen is making your refresh easy. And folks, I love Brooklinen, truly. We just finished giving our bed a refresh last week with a new comforter, sheets, and pillowcases. And I am beyond thrilled with their products. I haven't stopped talking about how luxurious our bed sheets feel to Michael. And I've put a hedge of protection around them from our toddler's hands. Now is the time to invest in your space because the comforter sale is here. For a limited time, Brooklinen is offering 15% off their comforters. Their comforters come in three weights, lightweight, all season, and ultra warm to make sure you get exactly what you need at bedtime. Brooklinen also offers a down alternative comforter that feels like down while being a hypoallergenic and eco-conscious option. The fill is made from recycled materials and still sleeps like a dream. You should take advantage of this comforter sale. I really think you'll love Brooklinen's bundle sets as well. I am forever a Brooklinen devotee, so take my word for it. Are you listening after the sale? Visit brooklinen.com today and use the code WEAR for $20 off plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com code WEAR. Brooklinen, sheets so nice, you're going to want to call down the Holy Ghost to protect them from your kids. (laughs) On the first episode of Where We Are of the New Year, Melissa and I will discuss the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the long and winding road uh, that got him there. You're listening to Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are, and we are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And it is good to be with you in 2023. I've been uh, I've been gone longer than Melissa has. Melissa uh, has been doing the morning five uh, this last week and the week before our break, for which I am grateful. Uh, so I'm glad. I think I think it's been a month since I've been since I've been back on on the pot. So glad to be here. Yeah, so it's fun doing the morning five, but a lot of pressure. Well, you know, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just happy there's still a slot uh, there's still a slot left for me here. I thought there was going to be a complete coup. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking about a coup. Yeah, uh, it's uh, but no, it's been good. Thank you for those of you who are listening to us in this new year. We're excited for another year of where we are and the morning five, uh, Melissa. How are you? How are you processing twenty twenty three? It's been a roller coaster of a few weeks for us. Not like giant things, but just things here and there throwing us off. You know, one problem after the other. Uh, so like twenty twenty three has kind of been been a blur so far. It's been hard to reflect on twenty twenty two. It's always hard to reflect, anyways, when you have very young children running around. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let alone uh, I, the kidney stone and stenters. I still have them. Um, they're still with me. Uh, they're not just here in spirit. They're with me. Um, so I finally, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, that saga is not over for me yet, folks. And it's over for me on Tuesday. So praise the Lord. Um, but for, for the new year, I mean, Michael, you and I, we, we reflected a little bit as we took Saoirse out last weekend for the first time on her brand new frozen bike, uh, with training wheels. She did so well. 
And so we, we chatted because Sirsha's godparents actually prompted us to think about what are our goals for the new year and what can we reflect on over the past year. And Michael, what's the goal that you have for this year? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, at the end of last year, we launched the Center for Christianity and Public Life. Yep. And so, you know, this will be our, our first full year yeah, in operation. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, we are hoping to, to, to build that. We're really excited about the programs that we have in store. Our team is just wonderful and I think we'll grow throughout the year. And so, you know, that's where a lot of my, a lot of my focus and energy is right now, uh, is, is, uh, on building that, that organization, of course, right at the, uh, right after 2023, the new book will come out. So mm-hmm. the new book is, is set to be published January, 2024. It's almost done. Yeah. Uh, uh, a bit left to go, uh, but I can see the finish line. Michael would appreciate your prayers for this. I would, I would. We have, we had a couple of weeks of really important writing over the holiday break. That's why I took the break from the morning five. That went well on track, feeling really good, really excited about the project, uh, but have about three to four weeks left of writing, mm-hmm. and so would appreciate prayers for that. But Melissa, what about you? My goal for this year, I, I mean, my main goal, and this sounds really dumb, but it actually really affects the rest of my life, and you know, my job as a mom, job as a consultant, but... Over this past year, I realized that I wasn't eating three meals a day. Oftentimes, I'd be getting to like 4 p.m. and realizing I haven't had a thing to eat or drink today because I've just been running around. Um, And so I've made a goal to get that rhythm back into my life because it's deeply important to uh, my body's rhythms. I've noticed that my body is kind of starting to tell me, hey, (laughs) you need to make sure you feed me earlier than 4 p.m. Um... (laughs) Uh, your New Year's resolution is very like, I don't know, like Popeye or like 1950s, uh, I don't know, just like three square meals a day. I just no, kinda, literally, it's very I wanna, wholesome. It's I very wholesome, June Melissa. cleaver myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without the other baggage of the 1950s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll, 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 we'll try, and I'll try and be helpful uh, in that by asking you, uh, did you eat? Did you eat? Did you eat yet today? <laughs> Have you had water? <laughs> yeah. Have you sustained your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think before we get into the speaker news and the developments in the house, uh, I think there's probably an expectation among our listeners uh, that we'd talk about the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Uh, and been... so uh, we we were. You know, we talked the whole weekend mm-hmm. uh, about how excited yeah, we, we were, were for so the excited. Monday Night Football game. So excited. The girls were in bed. Yep. Uh, I stopped writing. I, I mean, my full attention was on the game. And in the first quarter, uh, DeMar Hamlin goes down. And, and you you knew, it. you know, some of these – Takes a while before you know how serious it was, mm-hmm. but yeah. but but you had a sense that. Although I, I will say I, I I didn't realize how 
how serious it was, but you knew this is a serious injury. Uh, when when he went down, we we came to learn. So so the it was a Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals, two of the top teams in the league. The stakes were high. We'll talk about this a bit later, but you know, Buffalo is a small market team. Yeah. This whole season's been kind of weird. Buffalo's not used to getting so much attention. No, not at all. Uh, uh, and, and so, uh, but the whole week leading up to the game, the Bills were everywhere. And it was yeah. like, everyone's going to be tuning in to, to this game to see mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills play. Um, and uh, DeMar Hamlin goes down. He was tackling Cincinnati Bengals receiver T. Higgins. Uh, and... Uh, Higgins' shoulder just catches Hamlin square in the chest. And Hamlin gets up after the hit, but then collapses on on the field. Uh, He was um, down on the ground for a very long time. We learn after the fact that he was being administered CPR and uh, 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 and um, defibrillation uh, on the field. I believe he had CPR for nine minutes. Yes. Um, the the uh, the game was suspended for an hour, and then it was ultimately decided that the game would not be played again. Uh, would not be played. Uh, would not continue that evening. Mm-hmm. But it was. Um, it was. It was. I mean, it was literally a trauma scene, um, and you saw players crying. Um, uh, it, it 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 was a unique moment I'm, mm-hmm. if, uh, for things to be suspended in air for that long on live television. Mm-hmm. It was. It was quite quite jarring. Damar Hamlin, of course, was playing in that game, or, or I should say starting in that game, because Micah Hyde was with injured. With a neck injury. With a neck injury, I believe, yeah. And and Hamlin had just done an incredible job filling in for Hyde this season. Yeah, his stats leading, were wonderful. Leading the team mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, for tackles. Uh, and so... Um, and, and so, so uh, uh, Hamlin was resuscitated, but um, needed to be on uh, breathing support. hadn't had a uh, uh, an air tube, a, mm-hmm. a tube down his down his throat to help him help him breathe. Uh, we've received good news in the last few days that he no longer needs. I mean, quite miraculously, um, no longer needs support to breathe. He's fully cognizant. He seems to be neurologically intact. He FaceTimed with the team mm-hmm. uh, in the last several days. Yesterday, he tweeted out for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's he's been active on social media, which now is you know a key a key uh, you know uh, indicator yeah. of health. Uh, and um, but yeah, no. I mean, our um, it's been so encouraging to see the prayers. Um. In the expressions of, of faith in God and, and support for Hamlin uh, 
this past week from across the league, from folks who don't really normally care about football. President Biden called Hamlin's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, other sports teams have been wearing Buffalo Bills colors and his number. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. But um, I, I will say, I think we mentioned this on the pod. The the Bills training staff, they're just they're heroes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think, um, actually, uh, at uh, That Sounds Fun event with Annie, uh, with Annie Downs uh, outside of Philadelphia uh, last year, uh, I met a, a member of the Bills training staff, uh, attended the event, and I got to meet her after the game and got to wish her uh, best of, of luck this season uh, and we've stayed in touch and she's just been doing awesome work we're so proud of her and especially proud of her for being a part of the training staff that um that took care of of damar uh and uh is is looking out for for all these players and so but melissa it was it was such um yeah it was it was it was such a heavy heavy experience for those in the in the stands obviously for the players Mm -hmm. Um, but then just for the millions who are watching that game um, Mm -hmm. it was such a uh, um, uh, unexpected um, jarring sort of confrontation with mortality yeah I mean if if you're not a, a medical personnel member of the military you know, a few different professions. Um, you usually in your lifetime, you you tend to not see someone. I, I mean, in in the this is gonna I'm gonna use really stark terms, but he 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 died for, on the field for for a, a little while, and then obviously was resuscitated. I mean, that's what resuscitated means. And so, I don't think a lot of people are used to seeing that kind of imagery. Um, and so, therefore, the you know the response. Um, during you know that time when we just had no idea what, what exactly was going on and what exactly was being done to him and where he would end up, especially in those first few hours afterwards, yeah, it's definitely jarring and um, yeah, just I mean, being a lifelong Buffalo Bills fan, uh, having it happen to kind of one of your own, you kind of uh, I don't know Bills fans because it's a small market team and it's a small city, it's a Rust Belt city, it's just. You know, obviously, uh, even more sad when it happens to one of your own. Yeah, and so you know, uh, I've I've seen so many friends, uh, folks that I I know express support for Hamlin, which I can only you know expect is going to carry through to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, Demar Hamlin gave the team his go ahead. Uh, uh, Hamlin is ready to go, and he told he told uh, uh, his teammates to go get him. And so uh, we're coming up on the, on the playoffs here, and uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how the Bills players react, mm-hmm. and you know whether whether um, whether whether they win this for Demar. Uh, yeah. And so we'll be after processing a lot. <laughs> after processing a lot, yeah. but man, it, it was it was so much fun after Demar uh, FaceTimed with the players, and you know you saw them do some interviews after they yeah. had that team meeting, yeah. and the way they they just lit up and were and were ready to go. It was really 
really nice to see. Uh, all right, well, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about all of the activity, all of the uh, all of the drama in the House of Representatives. This is where we are. We're back. You're listening to Where We Are. And Melissa, we saw... Look, I mean... We started the week with no speaker. Uh, or, or I should say with, uh, you, you know, with, uh, with the speaker see. of the next s- session of Congress mm-hmm. uh, in place. And we ended the week with a speaker. And so, you know, in we the... We got there. In the scope of history... <laughs> Uh, you, you know, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, the, the, the delay will loom that large, but, oh, this week it just seemed, you know, like agonizing. Yeah. I had all kinds of folks reaching out to me, asking me what was going to happen. Uh, it was interesting seeing my Republican friends, uh, they're changing emotions and feelings, sort of watching it. But Melissa, why don't you give like the overview? You know, what uh, what was supposed to happen? Sort of what what had to happen procedurally, and how did it play out? And, and how did we end up with Kevin McCarthy, who was favored to become speaker, actually seeing it through and and being elected by uh, by his colleagues? Right. So, you know, the 118th Congress started this week. Like you said, they had to start voting on the, on the House Speaker on the floor. Um, and so since the Republicans uh, took over the House with the midterms uh, this past year, they won just a small majority, meaning that Kevin McCarthy would have to make sure that he had votes locked in to get him just over that half. Because, yeah, because the... the all of the House votes for Speaker. Yes, that is correct. And you, you need a majority yes. of all votes yes. uh, to, to to be Speaker. So it's not just Republicans voting. Yeah. It's it's uh, the whole House voting to become yes. Speaker. Yeah. And so they say that there were 428 possible votes. Um, and in the end, he won 216 out of those 428. Well... With the start of the vote, and if you listen to the morning five this past week, you'll you'll hear me detail um, uh, going through the first six votes. We ended up with fifteen votes total, with the fifteenth vote happening just after midnight into Saturday morning. Um, so, essentially, McCarthy had a faction of about it started off at nineteen, turned into twenty conservatives, those who are more towards the right on in in the in the GOP who wanted concessions out of McCarthy, several, all kinds of concessions out of him as speaker um, so that they would either vote for him or at least vote present. Um, And McCarthy, you know, in the last, you know, few weeks since the midterms has been quite confident that, you know, he won with this speakership role. And he did not go into this vote on Tuesday with 
every single vote secured that he needed to be. So it right. shouldn't have been a surprise that it was going to go one vote after the other because that is the rule, that is the procedure, that if somebody does not get the majority, you vote again and again Because and again. it's the only business the House could yes. possibly have until it's, they have a it's speaker. It's the only business. The House cannot legislate. It cannot... It cannot um, uh, uh, swear in new members until it has the speaker. This is the very first thing that they must get done to do literally anything else. Right. So they could vote on speaker or they could vote to adjourn. Uh, adjourn. The problem was uh, that Democrats and these 20 uh, holdouts didn't want to adjourn because they wanted to keep the pressure on McCarthy. And so, yes. yeah, so they to, just had to keep yeah, on doing to these give, votes. Yeah. To, 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 to give in on these concessions. And I'll go over the concessions in just a minute. Um, but, yes, we got into 15 votes. And uh, up until around, I think it was like the eighth or ninth vote, McCarthy had been steadily losing Republicans off of his yes votes because confidence was just waning in terms of him being speaker and all kinds of, you know, several different um, members of the GOP received those other votes that McCarthy would have needed. Like, it's, you know, at points it was... Well, not like steadily lose. I mean, it was basic. I mean, we, we were basically dealing with the same contingent of... Oh, yeah, no, you were dealing with the same contingent, but he got as low as 200 votes at one point during one of the rounds. And then he had to... Then he started increasing again, especially because essentially... Um, with that fifteenth vote, um, there were four, uh, there were five Republicans um, in that conservative faction who decided to vote present, which helped him clinch it by reducing the number of votes that he needed to get to a majority. So he won again, like I said, with two hundred sixteen out of four hundred twenty-eight votes, with five of those conservatives um, still not voting yes for him, but voting present. Now, the previous vote, the 14th vote got, and that was, you know, the, the penultimate vote, um, got quite heated because uh, with that vote, Representative Matt Getz of Florida, he voted uh, present for the first time as he had been, um, he had voted all other rounds for somebody else, but on the 14th vote, he finally voted present. Um, and so what that did was that that actually did not put McCarthy um, over into the majority, it actually kept him back. And so at that point, um, another representative actually rushed at him, Mike Rogers, uh, Republican of Alabama. Um, there's a there's a now a faint I would call it a famous photo out there um, where it shows Mike Rogers leaning out towards Matt Getz and Richard Hudson of North Carolina holding Mike Rogers back. Um, and Mike Rogers was later quoted as saying, um, you know, to elaborate on the clash, he, he said it, I quote, I think it spoke for itself, end quote. Um, so, I mean, on the 14th vote, that's when it really started to get heated. But I mean, all throughout these votes, I mean, there were tweets, you know, following everything and the chatter going on out on the floor, especially coming from Democrats, because Democrats the entire time voted 212, except for once, which was the 12th round, because one of the member, one of the Democratic members had a minor surgery, so could not be there. <laughs> yeah. So otherwise, all 212 voted for Representative Hakeem Jeffries the entire time. So the Democrats, you know, were showing this united front, and Republicans were showing that, you know, they had this faction who was actually just holding McCarthy's victory over his head until these concessions. Now, these concessions, um, this is what we know. Um, most obviously, we don't like have these things written down and some of them we don't have exactly which you know member may have benefited from which concession a sort of thing but because some of these changes 
will have to be voted on voted on yes. through the House Rules Committee. That's exactly right. So, yeah. So, here they are. Um, first concession. Any member can call for a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair. So, any one single member can call for McCarthy to be voted on again for a new Speaker. Um, which obviously puts the speakership position in just in a very precarious place when you do have just a small majority. Um, a McCarthy-aligned super PAC, the Congressional Leadership Fund, agreed to not spend in open Republican primaries in safe seats. Um, the House will hold votes on key conservative bills, including a balanced budget amendment, congressional term limits, and border security. Now, again, that's just putting them forward. If they have these votes, I, I mean, you were saying, Michael, the congressional term limits, you don't see that passing. Um the fourth one, uh, efforts to raise the nation's debt ceiling must be paired with spending cuts. Uh, fifth one, move 12 appropriations bills individually instead of passing separate bills to fund government operations. On um, the sixth one, more Freedom Caucus representation on committees. So the Freedom Caucus, meaning these conservative members that were um, voting either no or present on him. Um, so uh, more representation on committees for them, including at least one member on the House Rules Committee. Um, the next concession capped discretionary spending at fiscal year 2022 levels, which would amount to lower levels for dispense, defense and domestic programs, most likely if they did that. Um, the next concession, 72 hours to review bills before they come to the floor. And then the next one, give members the ability to offer more amendments on the House floor. Um, the next one is create an investigative committee to probe the weaponization of the federal government. Then finally, restore the Holman rule, which can be used to reduce the salary of government officials. So that's what we know of the concessions. Who knows what will actually shake out and what was truly agreed to and what will really be sort of some of the first things that we actually see coming out of um, what McCarthy agreed to. Thoughts, Michael? I mean, my, my questions for you, Michael, are... Because this is the sort of the general media chatter, the social media chatter, you know, folks we know who have been asking you questions. Overall, how do you think this plays out for McCarthy moving forward as speaker for his, <laughs> his role as the leader? And then the second question, which is also a big question, is how do you think this shakes out for the Republicans? How did this make them look? How do they move forward? Um, are they as fractured as everybody was saying that they were? Was was this entire vote as chaotic as people were saying? Um, is there any precedence for this? Yes. Those are a lot of questions. Sorry. Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me, and I know you have some thoughts on this. I do. Um, but let, let me start with, you know, the, the chaos, the Republicans in disarray. Mm-hmm. Um, Republican government, you know, this is Republican government at work. Um, I think those claims need to be sort of specified. It, like, if you just, um, if you just look at it, if you take out the substance of why there were objections to McCarthy, and you just look at the, the process... The process was a healthy one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a uh, Republicans have a slim majority, and uh, it's healthy for our political parties 
to not be in in total lockstep. Yep. Now that isn't to like say that um, that it would be a whole other sort of conversation argument that we could have about whether uh, whether that means it's not healthy for them to uh, to be in lock, lockstep. But I think like it's totally a big country. Uh, significant diversity among Republican members in terms of the kinds of, as with any majority, to have a majority, that means you have to win in places you don't typically win in. Mm -hmm. And so that means that you're going to have, you're going to have a diverse, diverse caucus. Um, And so I don't have a problem with, with multiple ballots, with, with these parties coming to terms with who they want to be, uh, who they want to be their their leader. Now you go to the specifics. Some of these concessions, uh, I think, are in theory, basically I'm okay with. I think I just remind people that a lot of these um, a lot of these sorts sorts of changes with how Congress operates. Um, Like the way Congress operates is uh, reflective of the history of the institution. Mm-hmm. So, like for instance, when they eliminated when they eliminated earmarks, yep. Uh, you know, it was like this is a big anti-corruption win. This mm-hmm. is going to be uh, finally. Or this is going to be the end of pork barrel spending. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, there were probably some positive consequences of that. What we discovered, though, um, was that, A, there were other ways for individual members to get favors and mm-hmm. for for all kinds of dealing to take place. The, the main impact of removing earmarks was that it took away uh, uh, levers uh, to pass legislation. Uh, it took away uh, levers that uh, uh, th- uh, that those in leadership had to move move bills. So a lot of people think that by taking away earmarks, uh, uh, that actually contributed to the kind of intransigence that we're seeing uh, in 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 that we've seen in Congress for the last several yeah. decades. Yeah. Uh, so I. I don't know what the consequences of some of these changes are going to be, the unforeseen consequences. Now, the foreseen consequences, what we know is going to happen, mm-hmm. is that McCarthy has a guillotine hanging over his yeah. uh, hanging over his head mm-hmm. from day one. Yep. So, obviously, it's significant. It just takes one member to call for uh, his speakership to be put up for a vote. Uh, that's going to be used as leverage against him anytime he needs to make a decision against the ideology of these 20 members of the house uh uh uh, in favor of what the country might actually need at the time and so like that's a that's a significant concern i I think there's also and i think there will be reporting that'll come out you know you had all kinds of uh, at least whispers of, you know, members asking for uh, some of these holdouts asking for 
committee seats mm-hmm. and asking for special consideration of their issues. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, where there's some, you know, some, some skepticism uh, that, that, uh, that, that is, is legitimate, that this was not a political uh, process that was about different visions of the public good, uh, but there was also a lot of self-aggrandizement involved with this. But so uh, I'll, I'll, I'm interested. We, we've talked about this all week. Um, again, my sorry takeaway is I don't have a problem really with uh, with you know these uh, with with the Republican Party working out who it wants to be its 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 leader. I, I think as a as a strategist uh, uh, and, and other people have said this. You know, they did have two months to, they didn't have to negotiate uh, all of this on the House floor. They could have negotiated this <laughs> way before the vote. But but as a matter of principle, I, I don't really mind, uh, mind that it had to go multiple ballots and that kind of thing. I, I think what I do mind is, is, I think some of the, I think the House is not going to be functioning well. Um, uh under Speaker McCarthy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it changes. You know, some of these changes are going to change the House even when Speaker McCarthy is gone. Like these rules mm-hmm. won't yep. just sort of go away just because Speaker McCarthy goes away at some point eventually. So yeah, yeah, that was one of my thoughts towards because we haven't talked about the Democrats yet. You know, the Democrats sort of sitting with their. Ch- their chest puffed out a little bit. And I mean, in a lot of ways, rightfully so. But, you know, um, just sort of the chatter that we were hearing on the floor and the heckling that was constantly going on um, is that, you know, these rules will last and will be hard to get rid of. And so, like, in, you know, like, uh, whenever it will be, 2024, 2025, when if, you know, Democrats were to take back the House, you know, with uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker, like, these things could come to haunt them kind of thing. And should be working towards with um, Republicans who don't like these concessions um, to sure that they are uh, they don't have as much teeth as they possibly could at this moment in time. Again, with the idea that we don't have like all every single tit for tat that was said to get to these concessions. Well, so here's one of the things that's, that's striking to me, which is that a lot of the concessions that that the substantive uh, the the principled uh, uh, cohort of these 20 holdouts. These are complaints that you frequently hear from Republicans oh, yeah. generally. Uh-huh. Uh, now, typically, they're the kinds of complaints that you hear from a party that's in the minority that then go away when the party goes into the majority. So there was a certain kind of like, I, I actually appreciated the principled nature of uh, of. Uh, of of some of these objections and some of these sort mm-hmm. of rules changes, um, and there are also changes that like you know the squad is uh, not going to be entirely opposed to yeah um, seventy two hours to review a bill. I mean that uh, well well not just seventy two hours to re- review a bill, but but some of these um, but but. Empowering, empowering non-establishment members to have a say 
yes. more of a say so in the process. Closed door dealing between the the highest ranking members. And so you, you know the 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 left wing of the Democratic Party, we might look back on this and see that they got. Uh, changes that will empower them that they didn't even have mm-hmm. to fight for, <laughs> that they didn't have there to do anything too, for. Yes. Um, so, 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 yeah. So, I, I just thought that dynamic was was interesting. That you know, when the Democrats are in the majority, Republicans are complaining all the time about uh, you know you aren't allowing us to offer amendments, you aren't allowing us to read the bill. The Democrats mm-hmm. do the same thing when they're in the minority. Yep. These are like the kinds of complaints that you make when you don't have power. And so it was, speaking of those changes, whether you agree with them or not, and again, I just caution, like some of these changes sound good on principle. Now, like part of the reason for the 72-hour, part of the reason for introducing bills late is that what you'd have is you'd have news media and members who wanted the bill to fail taking things out of the bill uh, take, taking aspects of the bill out of context, raising up a whole bunch of uh, sort of media controversy and killing the bill in ways that uh, don't necessarily reflect reality. And yeah. so, you know, yes, on principle, you're like, yes, of course, these members should have more than 72 hours to read read the bill. And, but what are the costs of mm-hmm. those kinds of changes in yeah. terms of how Congress can actually function? And, yeah. and you know, that, that, that we, we may look back on some of these rules changes and, mm-hmm. and view them quite, quite differently than we do now. Yeah. I mean, my 20,000-foot perspective, and this was even into, like, the fourth, fifth, sixth round of votes, and then, you know, even further, even all the way up to the 15th vote, my very first conclusion right away is, you know, pretty similar to the one that you had. Um, in a time when, for the last you know several years, um, we've have we've had analysts and experts really worried about democracy in the United States, um, an erosion of democracy and democratic ideals, that sort of thing, that procedurally, the system works and is working. The rules are working. The procedures are working. We saw them at work. So there was order to the chaos. Even if the the politics of it felt, you know, there was disunity, there was fighting, there was heckling, like, you know, name it. There there was that, that so I'm not ignoring that. Um, but there was order to the chaos. And for democracy watchers in this country, I feel like should be pretty happy with what just happened, actually. Yeah, true. And for the American public, I, I mean, I know that most of the narratives coming out of this is that this is a total mess and like, you know, an embarrassment and that sort of thing. And I, I actually think that that's hyperbole. I, yeah. In, well, sure. Democrats I, want it to, to, to be viewed as a mess. It's but. completely hyperbole. Um, and, you know, I'm sure if we did some polling where if we separated out the two questions about, you know, uh, sort of what do you think of the state of democracy in the country and, you know, what is your opinion on Congress? The numbers on Congress may have gone even lower than they already have been. But I would think that a lot of the American, like the American people need to know that this process worked and that's actually really good. Um, And then one of the other reasons why it did look so chaotic is because we have at this moment, we have a cleavaging of the Republican Party that, you know, sort of started with the Tea Party, 
but it was never really institutionalized in any kind of way. And they really didn't actually gain any real power. And then, you know, with this conservative faction, they actually, their leader became president. I mean, so, you know, they ha they have had power in the past few years, um, but we have this cleavaging of one of the two parties. So in a two-party system, when you have this small faction, it feels really chaotic and it feels like there's disunity. Whereas I think that sometimes this kind of chaos and disunity can actually be productive and can actually be a sign of health um, in terms of the fact that, I mean, you just said it yourself just a few minutes ago, the concessions that they were asking for, they're the type of concessions that you ask when you feel like you don't have power. And for the Republican Party, if it's trying to regain any kind of identity, especially trying to claw it back from these, you know, these 20 members, then this actually could be a time of productivity if they would actually like to take those reins and bring order unto the chaos. Um, and I think that it could be a sort of fresh tilling of the ground for the party if they would like it to be and if they will it to be. Because... Yes, they will, you know, these 20 conservatives will can definitely be a thorn in McCarthy's side. Yes, there is a guillotine hanging over his head. But for the overall party, even beyond the House, sort of isolating this group, this cleavage that has happened, um, will be important for them. And honestly, a, a lot of the, the back and forth and the debate and, you know, the heckling and that kind of stuff, it felt very British to me. It very, felt very parliamentarian, yeah. um, which was very interesting to me. But that system is obviously a parliamentary system and it's a multi-party system. But it felt like that because there is this cleavaging. So that all of that is fascinating to me. And I do think that it could be a sort of fresh tilling of the ground, even through this like gnashing of teeth, like this difficult period for the Republican Party, which is a bit in disarray and doesn't really have an identity and needs to sort of pin down one. Yeah. Um, I, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I think the 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 question is going to be how much does McCarthy feel like he needs to cater to yes. this group of twenty? And you know, if if you have a situation where it looks like uh, it looks like the Republican Party is beholden to this, you know, fringe group. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a problem. I mean, I mm -hmm. thought it was a problem. You'd watch these nominating speeches for McCarthy, mm -hmm. and. For me, like, no wonder Democrats were sitting back because mm -hmm. nominating speech after nominating speech was emphasizing how much McCarthy, like, it, it was obviously about making the case to these 20 that they should move over. Yep. And through arguing for mostly very unpopular nationally speaking policies and, and approaches to, to issues. I mean, you look at, like, Bob Good's speech from Virginia. It's like, oh... Yeah, like uh, the uh, Democrats winning a landslide if this is the Republican Party's message in twenty twenty four, and so I, I think that's the that's the critical question. It's important to note it's not just twenty or so Republicans that are very conservative, mm -hmm. and so that's going to be the interesting thing, which is like there were there are a bunch more Republicans who agree with the twenty substantively but felt like McCarthy was satisfactory as speaker. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, do you have, you know, another 20, 40 Republicans Mm -hmm. who are siding substantively Mm -hmm. with these 20 who are who are opposed to passing legislation that includes strong Democratic support? Mm -hmm. Then it gets really interesting because. You know, if the House is only passing very conservative legislation, it's not going to get through the Senate. And if mm-hmm. it gets through the Senate, it's not going to get to it's not going to be signed by President mm-hmm. Biden. Mm-hmm. And so in order for the House to be productive, they they have to have an approach. that's not just bringing together the Republican Party, but is working with Democrats in the House and or at least working with uh, working with Schumer in mm-hmm. the Senate. And so th- th- that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to see unfold. But again, McCarthy is kind of in a straitjacket here because if he if he appears to be working too closely with Schumer, then uh, then he could be called up uh, and his speakership could be uh, could be under threat. Yeah, it. I don't it's, think it's, McCarthy is a good enough politician. No, I don't think so to, either. To navigate I think, this, I think well. he's going to be booted, be booted pretty quickly. And you know, for the Republicans that um, you know aren't in the in the or, you know the actual twenty conservatives or in the group that might be twenty to forty that substantively agree with the more conservative side. If I were them, here's here's the thing. That group of 20 is isolated in a lot of ways. And through this process, I do think some Democrats probably are seeing an opening to getting some of their things done if they get some of these other Republicans to sort of say, you've got that group of 20, let's isolate and come over here, um, you know, more towards compromise legislation, which would actually potentially get passed in the Senate. But for Republicans, if I were any of those Republicans not in either of those groupings, I would be trying my hardest to take to wrest the power from that group because they technically do not have it unless you give it to them. And with Mark Carthy as, as speaker, I think that you are giving that group obviously that power, and so you need you actually want them want him to get called up, and you want him to lose. So, like, right? So here are like the interesting kinds of conversations that can that that you know. And, you know, this is all speculation and really it would be political death for McCarthy. But like, so so the thing is, the House operates in a way, like in the Senate, the minority has ways to force votes mm-hmm. on legislation the minority wants considered. Mm-hmm. In the House, it is a much more sort of majority driven mm-hmm. uh, body. And... So part of the part of the conversation, part of the debate that McCarthy was was having, and the pressure that was put on McCarthy, was to get him uh, was to try and box him in, so that uh, the cost of him bringing legislation that the full Republican caucus wasn't behind, including these twenty, you know, to the floor that that was penalized and disincentiv- mm-hmm. disincentivized. Mm-hmm. You know, does McCarthy? And again, Mar- McCarthy doesn't strike me. He's not a policy visionary like Paul Ryan, or at least how Paul Ryan sort of viewed him himself. McCarthy doesn't have a real principal policy agenda. Um, but like, does McCarthy get to a point where he's just like, you know what? I've reached the top. I'm speaker. You know, I'm not. I'm not. 
I, I hope he doesn't think that that he's he's going to run for president at some point. I mean, I think you know this is the top role that he'll have. Yeah, he will have it. Does career. he yeah. does he want to does he want to hold it? You know, cowering from from these folks. Mm-hmm. Do you get into a position where there's bipartisan legislation, uh, landmark legislation on immigration? Mm-hmm. Yep, immigration is the first thing that came to mind. Uh, that that. You know, some Democrats say, look, if you bring this to a vote and and your right wing calls your speakership uh, up for a vote, just this time in response to this, we'll vote for you. Uh-huh. Like we're not yeah. going to you don't have to worry about your speakership because you brought an immigration bill to the floor for a vote. And what does what does what does he do uh, in, in that case? Uh, you know, those are the those are the kinds of conversations we're going to be having for the next two years because that's the position McCarthy's in, mm-hmm. and it's I don't envy him at all. <laughs> um, I think I think uh, I think being uh, being speaker in the kind of situation he's in is not an enviable enviable uh, job at all. But it's the job that he stood up fifteen ballots for, and, and now he has it. Congratulations. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there's gonna be. Yeah, the backdoor dealing is just gonna be wild on the house. It's gonna side. be wild. It's gonna I, be wild. I, I, I was trying to figure out a way to articulate this right now of, you know, different um, groupings of people who will have very competing interests in terms of McCarthy being at the center of it and being the, their puppet. Well, and here's a cynical thing for for Democrats, Mm -hmm. which is that there are going to be some Democrats thinking, what can we do to provoke Mm -hmm. these 20 Republicans Mm -hmm. to be more antagonistic toward McCarthy? Uh, What kind of of positions can we put McCarthy in that will make him more vulnerable to his speakership being contested, I mean, and so you know that it, like Democrats may not. Uh, we're going to get a sense of how much Democrats and the Biden White House want to help McCarthy because they want to move legislation forward, or whether they want to uh, help uh, increase McCarthy's pain. And I think some of that decision will be made in response to how the next few weeks go and how the next couple of months go. Is McCarthy willing, uh, is is McCarthy a speaker who's who's going to be uh, pursuing moving legislation forward and, and doing so in a way that, that it can actually be productive? But if McCarthy isn't showing some leadership on his side, then Democrats may, may just say, do you know what? A McCarthy-led House isn't going to do much good for the country, uh, isn't going to do much good for us. And so we need to like play with the card that's been dealt and uh, <laughs> stirring up some trouble uh, on the Republican side of the aisle may, may be, the, may, may be the, the, the most productive thing that I mean, the Democrats in the House can, can, can do. There's that cynical side for them. The cynical side for the Repu- Republicans is that already this second or maybe even the last week, 
there's a secret campaign going on for when they're going to bring McCarthy up, maybe even right oh, away. Oh, 100%. Like, they're picking Steve Scalise, they're picking Byron Donalds, like they had, they're picking Jim, like, they're picking any one of them, and they're doing a secret campaign to see how much they can gather right now and try, and sort of bite off and then hope that the rest will follow because there will be an even greater majority than 20 people. There will be, like, 50 Republicans, you know, and in the next two weeks, McCarthy could be gone. Oh, yeah. That's, no, I mean, that's how, absolutely. like, literally the oh, backdoor, like, campaign to get, you know, such and such person, because they were doing it in real time over the past week, and so obviously that's all out in the open, but now, no. when you can do it, um, you know, through whispers, like, and, you know, the nice expensive lunch, you know, out at Old Epic Grill, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think No one goes there anymore, dear. No, at, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh... Some sort of steakhouse. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stereotyping. I apologize. Uh, no, that's the cynical side of the Republican side right now is that we McCarthy could be out like really soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Again, you know, the, the first hundred days of a new Congress are usually the most productive. So I, I do think like this is going to be a fast moving situation or, or I should say there will be a lot of opportunities to analyze what a Speaker McCarthy looks like, how he navigates, uh, you know, uh, running this house. Uh, there are going to be a lot of opportunities for that kind of analysis again over the next month, over the next two months. Now, of course, just the last thing I'd say is all of this how this plays out as a great impact on how the presidential race will shape up. Mm-hmm. You know, like what is there, there's been some speculation that look, the, the, the more unproductive, the more frustrating DC seems, the better for Ron DeSantis because mm-hmm. he doesn't touch it. You know, he, he's not touching it at all. And he's making decisions as governor, uh, he, he could not only move legislation through a more favorable uh, uh, legislative environment, but he has executive power in Florida uh, that that could be helpful to him. So, so watch to see how how those pieces relate to I one mean, another. It was as well. already de- not to you know belabor this further, but it was already out in the open with. You know, Trump on social media saying, you know, please support McCarthy. And then Lauren Boebert, like, on the floor saying, you know, President Trump, you're wrong, essentially. And then, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene had Trump on the phone at one point. It's speculated. I mean, people, there's like a shot of her phone and it says DT on it. So we can assume that it was, in fact, President Trump on the phone with her to basically help with negotiations. And the fact that this group of 20, I know it, again, I know it feels like they had all the power this week, but even themselves, they looked to be in disarray. Like they, they just looked to be, they looked like meddlers. And then- Oh, they didn't have all the power. What they had was, the, the, the problem with McCarthy isn't that these folks have all the power. McCarthy's problem is that, uh, his power is so fragile that it doesn't take much. Doesn't take much. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, for for Trump to already be in the middle of that meddling and how that looks for him, and especially with you know members of this Freedom Caucus like Bo Bear saying you know on the floor that he was wrong at a time when we're already just discussing like how much power does he still hold? Has he weakened over the last couple of months? 
Um, I think that's already really at play for him in particular, and especially because obviously he's announced um, uh, for for twenty twenty four. Yeah. Yep. Well, all right. Well, we'll see. You know what the new Congress does, uh, and uh, you know, a, a critical legislation to come up. I mean, we're going to see how the House. If if this new Congress has a more antagonistic posture towards Ukraine, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about uh, immigration reform being considered early this session. Mm-hmm. President Biden is headed to the border. Yes, uh, for the first time uh, as as president. Um, so so yeah, but we we have a speaker. We Kevin McCarthy. We have a speaker. All right, Melissa, fun talking to you about this. Hope this was helpful to our listeners. As always, you can reach out to us over social.